Welcome to Talking About Midlife, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, love, relationships, our inner world, aging, death, motherhood, and what it means to be a human at this time in the world. I am Kelly Sterling, and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening today. Today, I have a fantastic guest with me and great content for you to listen to. I have Dr. Fatima Khan with me. Welcome, Fatima. Hi, Kelly, and hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on your platform. Thank you. So we're going to talk to you today about menopause, but really what we're going to talk about is demystifying hormone replacement therapy. And I realised that this is an area where a lot of women get nervous about when they think about it. Often I have clients that work with me who are going through their perimenopause transition and they're like, I don't want to have HRT. And I wonder sometimes if there's a little bit of shame or stigma about it. And so what I've noticed with my friends who have taken it is it's been very supportive to them through their transition for a variety of different reasons. And then I have other friends who've been able to deal with it holistically looking at all their lifestyle factors in their life and so one of the reasons that I asked Fatima on to the podcast or if she'd be willing to have a chat is because she is a menopause specialist and there's not many doctors around who are specifically trained and done deep training around menopause but also she's incredibly holistic in how she works and how she does her work and has many interests in alternative health as well. So Fatima, thanks so much for coming. Can you tell us a little bit about you and how you got to, what's been your pathway? How did, why did you want to become a doctor and why menopause um, as an area of deep expertise for you? Yeah, I guess I, first of all, I'd probably start by saying I'm, I understand women more than probably women understand themselves for several reasons. I've been surrounded and raised by lots of women. So my mum's one of four sisters my dad has got three sisters so when I was growing up I had about six seven aunts around me so it was a very what we call female dominant but with lots of wisdom and strength so I've always had this kind of um, mature woman who know what what they stand for and kind of kind of guided me along the way but as a result and I'm one of three sisters as well and so I think what I've always experienced from a young age is periods uh, endometriosis, fibroids, and I've seen every single transition. So growing up, I've saw my mom go through menopause, then my aunt go through menopause, then I've seen my cousins go through um, the um, getting pregnant, your antenatal, your postpartum. So I've kind of seen all the life transitions. I've always been fascinated by it, and so that was kind of my passion when it comes to women's health. But more specifically, uh, why I went on to do. Um, menopause is my mom's sister got breast cancer when she was in her 50 and she never mm. took HRT mm. and then her other sister got endometrial cancer she never took HRT mm. and then my mother had quite bad endometriosis had a hysterectomy and as a result stopped HRT although she suffered suffered quite a few years and so it always fascinated when I got to when I was doing my training um, 
when they were all going through these, um, you could say common gynecological and um, cancers, but it was just this thing, well, I started to see patients in my practice who were coming in with kind of similar symptoms and there just mm. wasn't much support. So I started off working in a lot of obs and gynae speciality and then that's what I wanted to do. Then I decided to do general practice and then I went back to doing specialist training in menopause. So in the UK, it's quite intensive um, and you get to work in a big multidisciplinary team and you kind of deal with complex patients with different backgrounds where they're high risk, either they've got clotting disorders or they've got breast cancers and all the other things. And it was just to understand um, why is it around midlife, um, and that can really be from early 40s to early 50s, women are more predisposed to getting um, gynecological cancers or breast cancer or any other type of cancer. What's happening with their reproductive biology, but what's happening with other parts of the hormone biology as well, and how yeah. is that interacting? And then I saw it, you know, I saw my uh, my mother really suffer. And then I started to see patients, I'm like thinking, is HRT really that bad? Because I none of my family members and my aunts had HRT, and that they, they still went on to get these cancers. Yeah. So there's obviously something more than that. And I think it was driven by lifestyle. Um, you could probably say other forms of trauma that we all build up, a combination mm -hmm. of things. So I wanted to really go and study the science behind it and really understand what, what's the truth behind HRT, try and demystify some of these myths that we're, there's a lot of fear around it. And you mentioned, so I think there's a lot of taboo around menopause, mm -hmm. but there's fear around HRT. Mm -hmm. and the combination is not very good so not only you're going through the menopause you don't want to talk about it because there's yeah. some shame around it but there's no shame around HRT I think there's fear around HRT and the combination of shame and fear is just detrimental not good yeah. uh, because for women then they're living in this chronic stress from not having to take something and then going through the menopause can be quite isolating for a lot of women because they haven't got that support system so I probably will go back to the basic and try and define some of the definitions and the symptoms and then the treatment. Yeah. But also my background is probably, I would just say as a result, because none of my aunts and my family members took HRT, they're very much into using complementary therapies. And I don't actually say alternative because I think even if you take HRT, you can take these therapies such as acupuncture, sure. Chinese yeah. medicine, uh, Ayurvedic medicine, they're all, and talking therapies, they're all phenomenal therapies which allow our bodies to kind of rebalance and heal and set that equilibrium that we kind of lose along the way. But going back to more the definitions of it, menopause is defined by your last menstrual period or the absence of period for 12 months duration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the perimenopause is, is the time when you start noticing changes in your menstrual cycle leading up to the menopause. So that can start in women five to eight years before. And it could be simple things such as your periods are becoming heavier, they're becoming lighter. Instead of feeding for five days, they're going to three days. Or you're noticing instead of having a 28-day cycle, you're starting to now get something every 40 days or skipping them or they're completely gone for a few months coming back. Yeah. So the first clue is to cycle track. Any changes in your cycle, menstrual cycle, shows that your reproductive hormones are fluctuating. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? Because reproductive hormones such as estrogen, even progesterone, and testosterone 
are not just important to produce a monthly cycle, but they have phenomenal impact on your mental health. So I always say hormone health is mental health. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we haven't realized that mind body connection, you could call it ovary mind connection. 50% of the perimenopause symptoms are in the brain. And they start with mental health. So anxiety, low mood, low motivation, panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And when we're going to the more cognitive symptoms, which really impact women in the workplace, there'll be difficulty making decisions, forgetfulness, poor concentration. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that self-doubt comes in. And so a lot of my women that I see who are in executive roles, they'll say, you know, I've been making these decisions for 20 years and now mm-hmm. I'm just coming and hiring and like nothing's changed, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's important to realize that if you're in the perimenopause experiencing any change in your menstrual cycle, that will have a direct impact on your mental health and your cognitive health. Yeah. And that's because estrogen is responsible and is a precursor for um, dopamine, which is mm-hmm. your hormone of reward, motivation, mm-hmm. joy, mm-hmm. Um, and also your serotonin. So that's your happy hormone. So when we get a dip in estrogen, we get a dip in uh, these hormones. So it's not unusual for you to suddenly have crying spells for no reason. You'll be sitting yeah. at work or at home and pre-menstrual, you'll be like, I don't know why I'm just crying. I... So you'll get all these symptoms. And then of course, later on, as the hormones start to fluctuate and all they're declining, we start noticing more the physical symptoms. So the night sweats, the hot flushes, the sleep disturbance, the dry, itchy skin. Mm-hmm. You also get things like palpitations, heart beating really fast. Some women get breathing difficulty. Some atypical symptoms would be parts of the body go numb, mm-hmm. uh, parts of the body you can feel kind of um, is that like a neuropathy like a peripheral neuropathy yeah, yeah. So, numbness and tingling part of it yeah. some women will say they get an altered metallic taste now of course these are slightly uh what we call the psychosomatic symptoms and they're yeah. validated tools uh, yes. since 1976 which obviously we don't communicate with patients and so we can clearly we clearly know that all the estrogen is produced in the ovary it has a phenomenal impact on your brain health and then it links to that mind-body connection mm-hmm. so these women will end up going to neurologists and rheumatologists and cardiologists and have extensive um, investigations and they find nothing wrong yeah I, I do encourage them to go and see those specialists because mm-hmm. you don't want to miss some pathology there mm-hmm. um but majority of the time they don't find anything and it's 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 because our estrogen is so important for our brain health bone health and heart health so we need to go beyond thinking as estrogen as this feminine reproductive hormone we've got to really understand its value as the vital importance in every single organ of our body Mm -hmm. just like thyroxine has if you are deficient in thyroxine in hypothyroidism which is very common again around midlife around Mm -hmm. menopause Mm -hmm. um, and that's because you need estrogen really to convert your uh, inactive thyroxine t4 to t3 and also progesterone and when menopause happens you get a decline in those uh hormones and the conversion is reduced so you become a bit more hypothyroid so going back to just like we would replace thyroxine for someone we are now thinking of replacing these hormones because they don't just serve the end of menstruation that's not really the point and do you understand why 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 does it matter and why treat it 
Yeah. Okay, so that's the next question. Okay, fine, we understand it causes these things. Why, why bother treating it? So if you look at the life expectancy, you can look at this in the Australian Bureau of Statistics. They've got a lovely um, graph there looking at life expectancy for male and female in Australia. So the average life expectancy for women in Australia is 84.6 years. Mm -hmm. If you were born in 1890, your life expectancy was like about 48 you would not survive to witness the menopause. menopause yeah. So now we are spending 30 to 45 years beyond menopause. Remember, menopause will happen at 50 and you're, most women will live till 90. So you've got mm -hmm. 40 years now you're spending post-menopause. Now that poses some um, biological consequences. The decline of estrogen at menopause, and when we say decline, it actually just goes like there's undetectable levels for most women. When you stop menstruating for 12 months and beyond, you will have no estrogen. It's not like there's a little bit there. Actually, majority of them have very low undetectable levels. Mm. That has metabolic consequences. Mm -hmm. So not only you are predisposed to getting starting to start metabolic effects, such as high cholesterol, high blood pressure, weight around the tummy. Mm -hmm. You start to become more insulin resistant. The lack of estrogen yeah. What tends to happen is your ability to process and digest and metabolize carbohydrates becomes uh, inefficient. So you, anything you eat will then start to deposit around the tummy yeah. uh, and you haven't changed anything you've eaten and you haven't changed your lifestyle and you haven't changed your exercise regime. And you might actually be exercising more and eating less and still piling on weight. And it's because estrogen is very important for our metabolic health. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you go to the GP and they'll find that all of a sudden your cholesterol's gone up and you've never had cholesterol, your blood pressure's gone up and you're like, oh my God, I've never had these things mm. because estrogen is cardioprotective. Mm. You've got estrogen receptors all over your blood vessels. It keeps it nice and elastic and, and pumps the blood pressure at very low, blood, at low levels. It helps with um, your cholesterol being more kind of the positive, the better cholesterol. You've got bad cholesterol and good cholesterol. So it has all these metabolic advantages when you take it. And this is why women until say at 45 or 50, women have almost non-existent heart disease compared to their male counterparts. Yeah. But 10 years after the menopause, women uh, kind of start to exceed men when it comes to heart disease. And globally, the main cause of death for women is heart disease. Wow. In Australia, the main cause of death for women uh, was heart disease until 2016. Yeah. And then now it's Alzheimer's. So oh, at the really? moment, last year or the year before, the main cause of death for women in Australia is Alzheimer's dementia followed by heart disease. Is the insulin resistance connected to the Alzheimer's? Is, does that have any relationship? Yeah, so insulin resistance is a hallmark of inflammation in mm. a way. Uh, we know insulin resistance is connected to Alzheimer's. We also know that insulin resistance makes us pre-diabetic and it also makes you what we call metabolically disadvantage where you start to then build uh, atheroma in the blood vessels your blood pressure goes up so you start getting all these risk factors for heart disease mm. cholesterol blood pressure uh, weight which is insulin resistance pre-diabetic and so the women main cause of death for women a lot of it is a heart attack which mm. we think oh it's something that doesn't affect us Mm. Now, we know women who take estrogen therapy in its natural form, they will have what we call a 50 to 70 percent reduction in death from heart disease. That's yeah. how strong it is. Yeah. The other 30 to 40 percent comes from your lifestyle. So eating a good whole food diet with lots of plant based foods, 
E, not smoking, exercising, managing stress, all the usual things. Mm -hmm. I put in social connection in there as well, because we know that loneliness as we get older um, causes, again, a state of fear, which causes low grade cortisol release and heightened sympathetic nervous system, which is a hallmark for disease. So we yeah. linked with loneliness and isolation. Yeah. Older people is linked to a higher risk of death. Yeah. Um, because loneliness is actually a feeling of fear and fear links back to that cortisol which is stress hormone cortisol is a hallmark for all disease and so at menopause when we're going through the menopause the cells in our body are kind of very stressed out yeah but all of a sudden they have this orchestrate uh, say if you have an orchestra the the in the estrogen is kind of there making sure everything's working fine yeah it maintains helps with your body clock it makes helps with your sleep it is really what we call neuroprotective so it helps soften and protect the uh, myelin sheets and the nerve cells sheets and that's why women with multiple sclerosis uh, find that um, estrogen helps with their symptoms as well uh -huh. and interestingly autoimmune conditions overall are more common in women yes and whenever we see what we call gender differences or sex differences in disease and going back alzheimer's is more common in women than men and the second thing we haven't talked about is osteoporosis yeah which is more common in women than men we know that estrogen um is so advantageous for our survival but also to keep us aging healthily and strong because ultimately i ask women to visualize themselves in their 60s 70s 80s and 90s they all want to be living independently at home, driving, self-caring. Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of the women now are having children in their early 40s. Yeah. Like so 30s, when I see them, 40s. I've got 45-year-old perimenopause woman who've got a two and a three-year-old. They're not going to be grandparents till in their 70s and 80s, which at the moment, the trajectory for most of those women is uh, that they'll either get Alzheimer's or they'll have an osteoporotic hip fracture. And we know women who have an osteoporotic hip fracture 50 to 70% of them will not be able to go back and live an independent life. They'll be in an mm. aged care facility. So the, the message is that at the time of menopause, the decline in estrogen predisposes to osteoporosis, heart disease, and Alzheimer's, which are the main cause of disability mm -hmm. and loss of independence mm -hmm. and ill health as we yeah. get older. And no one talks about it because we think, oh, we're old. But actually, we're not old. My eldest patient is 86 now. She lives on her own. She drives. She, her memory is sharper than mine. And um, she's taken HRT all her life. And she doesn't have any other illnesses. Doesn't have blood pressure. Doesn't have heart disease. She's in fantastic shape. So uh, just a question around how long you can take HRT. Because a lot of people think, and I guess, um, you know, a question that came up in my Facebook group when I asked people what their questions were, it's like, well, are we just delaying the inevitable? But it's just how, you know, how long is safe to take it? So I guess let's do a bit of history about HRT. So HRT great. is hormone replacement therapy. We now also call it MHT, which is menopause hormone therapy. And when it initially came out in the 1960s in America, uh, they were just giving women estrogen. Mm -hmm. And it was this kind of, you know, feminine forever, women don't need to age and all of this kind of, you know, the typical um, misogynist attitude uh, mm -hmm. that we have is like mm -hmm. keeping women youthful and young yeah. um, because, we, you know, and so there's all these other connotations about it. You probably won't dive into that. <laughs> but the main thing was this, uh, it was about, we found something that won't only just 
the whole thing was we can treat the menopause, but also prevent long-term illnesses. But they were only giving estrogen only HRT. Now, yeah. if you have a uterus, which majority yeah. of us do, when we give estrogen only, that thickens your lining. Yes. And what happened very quickly was that we started to get a lot of women getting endometrial cancer. Mm-hmm. Endometrium is the lining of your womb. In your natural menstrual cycle, you produce estrogen predominantly the first two weeks of your cycle and then mid-cycle you ovulate. And the last two weeks before your period, you produce predominantly progesterone. So in nature, we have estrogen, progesterone and balance. Estrogen is what we call proliferative. It grows cells and progesterone opposes that cell growth. So it's a beautiful balance. When that imbalance isn't there, when that balance isn't there, we start getting issues like endometriosis and then endometrial cancer. Mm-hmm. So what happened very soon, they realized we need to add in a progestogen yeah. to control the bleeding. But the problem was that the progestogen they added was a synthetic progestogen. And it was very strong. Uh, the good thing was it was very strong at controlling bleeding. And that's why they added it. Mm-hmm. So they did lots of trials of HRT, giving women HRT around the time of menopause when they mm-hmm. were going through the symptoms. And the results were always very positive. There weren't any side effects when you take it around the time of menopause. And then they designed the Women's Health Initiative study, which um, basically was a study that showed that HRT causes breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, that study was never designed to look at the use of HRT in menopausal women. It was actually the average age of women in that study was 63. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were 10 years post-menopause a lot of them hadn't actually taken HRT for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so we restarted HRT for them. Some of them were obese, smokers, mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. pre-established heart disease. So they were already what you call a very high risk group. So yeah. if I take someone in their mid sixties, uh, so the eldest was in their seventies, they haven't taken HRT for 10 years. Then I gave them HRT and the HRT they gave them was estrogen, which was conjugated equine estrogen. So it was from pregnant horses urine mm-hmm. in an oral tablet. And they gave mid, uh, medroxy acetate, which is Provera, which is a synthetic progestogen. So if you look at it, they had these synthetic hormones or oral hormones in kind of uh, the cohort of women, which were high risk anyway. Yeah. And so, we had two groups of women, women who had a uterus, they were given the combined HRT, and then women who had um, a hysterectomy, removal of their uterus, were just given estrogen only. Mm-hmm. And this study cost almost a billion dollars. And what happened was that there was a lot of pressure to be able to justify why we're doing the studies, what are the outcomes? Yeah. We're starting to notice these, some women were getting clots, blood clots and strokes, and some women were getting breast cancer. They weren't statistically significant, um, but what happened was, I think there's lots of stories, but they basically decided to stop the study and then they released the statement and it got to the press and it it wasn't what we call communicated effectively. Because when you talk about risk, percentages don't matter. You've got to look at the numbers and it looks at how you look at statistics. So when when they communicated the risk, they weren't communicated effectively and they were overhyped. And they never really showed us about the effect of estrogen, only HRT in a hysterectomized woman, even in that what we call the randomized control study, which is a gold standard of studies, never showed an increased risk of breast cancer. Mm. It showed a risk in reduction of breast cancer, reduction in all chronic disease, 
a reduction in death from chronic disease and slight life expectancy increase. But we obviously that never made the headlines. Mm. What made the headlines that when we give you combined HRT, that increases your risk for breast cancer. So let's talk about understanding risk for breast cancer. If I took a thousand women between 50 and 59, a thousand, um, 23 women, 23 per thousand or one in seven will get breast cancer. Mm -hmm. We all have this risk of getting breast cancer. Mm -hmm. If you had a hysterectomy and if I gave you estrogen only HRT, your risk is not increased of getting breast cancer. It's 23 per thousand or one in seven. It does not increase. If anything, it's statistically shown to reduce your risk of breast cancer. And there was a study that came out, a follow-up study of the same woman done last year, showed that even when you take estrogen for as long as 20 years, there is no increased risk of breast cancer and actually shows a reduction in breast cancer and death from breast cancer. When we add in a synthetic progestogen, such as Provera, you will get four extra cases. So instead of Mm. uh, per thousand women, which is a small risk considering if you have two glasses of any alcohol beverage a night, you get five extra cases. And if you are smoking, that's three extra cases. And the list goes on and on. But more importantly, if your body mass index is more than 30, you're 24 extra cases. So being overweight or gaining weight, which is so easy at midlife, that's your biggest risk of getting breast cancer. And I always like to frame it like saying it's the irony of breast cancer is if we're so worried about hormone therapy, we introduce breast screening at 50 at the time of menopause when we have no or little estrogen. Yeah. How does that make sense? The risk of breast cancer goes up over 50 mm. when we are postmenopause. In our reproductive years, we've got, you know, we're producing hundreds, um, say four or five hundred picomole, if not more, of estrogen per month in our mm. ovulatory phases, in our pregnancy. Pregnancy is interesting. We produce a lot more progesterone naturally. Mm. And it's interesting now because as part of HRT now, we combine with something called micronized progesterone, which is natural progesterone. It's plant extracted. Yes. Uh, because we've known estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer, but the synthetic progesterone does. Okay. So we now use micronized progesterone, which has been used in IVF and has also been used in uh, pregnant women to prevent preterm birth up to seven months. Right. And it's interesting because if you look at it in, in uh, when we're pregnant, we produce a lot of progesterone. And, and one of the theories is that progesterone is what we call anti-proliferative. It stops cell growth. Yeah. So when you have estrogen there, progesterone would block any cell growth that's stimulated with estrogen. So studies looking at estrogen combined with micronized progesterone have shown no increased risk in breast cancer. It's deemed to be neutral. And some studies have actually shown a slight reduction in breast cancer with it because of that progesterone blocking the estrogen receptor. And that's why we think in pregnancy, we produce a lot more progesterone than than estrogen because it's got that protective effect uh, on the breast. So that's a bit of little history and what the best treatment is. So going forward, if you want to try HRT, I always say you're correct. The conventional HRT is synthetic. It yeah. does carry a small risk of breast cancer. Yeah. And it also carries a small risk of getting blood clot. And that's because when you take an oral estrogen tablet, it's broken down by the liver. The liver, you can activate clotting factors. So we now yes. bypass the liver by taking estrogen through the skin. 
So the safest form of HRT to take is what we call body identical. Mm-hmm. It has the same molecular structure as your own body, but it's licensed pharmaceutical grade. It's not compounded. Yeah. And when you take estrogen as a patch or a gel through the skin, it's neutral on the breast and it's neutral on the clotting pathways. Then we take micronized progesterone. It is neutral on the clotting pathways and it's neutral on the breast. You can stay on it for as long as you need to as long as your benefit of taking it outweighs the risk. Yeah. For majority of women taking that the, around the menopause and perimenopause, when majority of women don't have any illnesses really, yeah. what we're trying to do is replace the hormones that are missing and declining. And the aim short term is to restore your function in your personal life and professional life so you can function yes. and have quality of life. Yes. So what I give a woman will say to me, oh my God, I, I feel like myself and they start thriving because it allows them to do the things they want to do. It might be going and doing an activity with their friends. They don't have to worry about joint pains and the lack of mm-hmm. sleep and the hot flushes. Mm-hmm. It allows them to stand in that board meeting in a male dominant group and perform and give that give that kind of board presentation rather than having a hot flush every hour and getting interrupted. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who works in a corporate or a barrister or a lawyer, you a lot of them need to be able to function and if you've got brain fog and you can't find the words because you're stuck mid-sentence which is what happens yes. a common symptom is they just stop midway they can't even remember what they're saying they can't yeah. find the words i mean imagine living like that for years which brings me to how long does a menopause mm-hmm. last average duration is about seven years but i see women that go on in their 60s and 70s when they try to come off their HRT. So some women can be in their 80th decade as well. So in terms of the HRT and with regard to the sim- the physical symptoms, but also the, the mental ones that you talked about because everything's interconnected, after someone has gone through the transition, do those symptoms tend to ease off? And does the body reach a new level of equilibrium, stability, if there's also been lifestyle changes as well? Or do like, will you, or I guess what I'm asking, you know, people might be listening going, am I always going to have brain fog? Or, you know, you go through the menopause transition and after a period of time, the body starts to find its new equilibrium and off it goes. So the perimenopause is the most challenging time because those fluctuating hormones are just causing havoc in your brain, your body, mm-hmm. all parts of your body. Um, and the best way to balance those is food to a certain extent and exercise, but I would say it's stress management. Beautiful. We thrive on chronic stress. Most women say, I'm not stressed. We are constantly living in a state of arousal of our sympathetic nervous system. There's a yeah. lot of autonomic nervous dysfunction we won't even go down there so the problem with that is you're the women who cope better are those who've got very good stress management uh, um, strategies yeah so daily stress management helps and lifestyle and exercise great if you can do them effectively and add in complementary therapies um, Chinese medicine acupuncture they're all fantastic and they will help you the reality is we live in fast-paced worlds, okay? Mm. We get up in the morning, rush out, grab a coffee, drop the kids to school, rush to your work, presentation, come back, cooking dinner. For majority of women, those lifestyle changes, they just don't have time for that. And mm. they're finding it very challenging to integrate yeah. uh, into their lifestyle. So 
when we replace those hormones or try and balance them, which again, I'm, I never ever just give hormone therapy. I have mm -hmm. a very holistic approach. You have to focus on how you're living your life. Mm -hmm. It's about living more mindfully, living more consciously, becoming more aware of your mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you're not really going to see the full benefits of mm -hmm. taking hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. My patients who work with me and I work with them together, we try and address all aspects of um, their kind of fundamental well-being, physical and emotional health through diet, movement, mindset, social connection, purpose, meaning, all of those things. But I find that HRT allows them to do all of those things. It's very difficult to tell someone who's going through the menopause, is waking up every hour at night, has severe joint pain, to next day say, you know what, I want you to exercise for 30 minutes and I want you to make, ex make three healthy meals. Because when our hormones are fluctuating, we want to crave those mm. high processed food, more sweet foods. And we want to not exercise because we can't, we don't have the motivation. When, if you're not sleeping, you can barely function. Yes. So what I'd say is HRT allow, restores their function back to their baseline, makes them feel like themselves. Sounds a cliche, but literally they will be feeling as they did before the perimenopause mm -hmm. and then they can achieve all those goals yeah i never really talk about weight and um a lot of the food things at the beginning because you know what you have to go through perimenopause to understand what the symptoms are mm. so these women are smart and intelligent we don't need to tell them they need to eat better and exercise listen they already know that the problem is they can't find the motivation and the physical symptoms and the emotional symptom are barriers for that. HRT almost eliminates all of them. Mm. And when we do that in the right way, with the right, I, I give certain um, herbs and supplements around it as well to balance your cortisol drives, support your adrenals, all the other usual things that we need to do when we're managing hormone therapy we find that the results are really good and women are really happy and they go on to kind of actually, I always say it, it, it's, it's a journey and every woman's journey is unique. Mm. HRT might be fine for someone and the other person, she might just be okay, might have minimal symptoms. We, we need to just move away from showing judgment and shame to women who take HRT. I mm. see that a lot mm. because there's this sense of you are unable to do it naturally. Yes. You failed. So I see a lot of women who come to me crying and saying, I've had these symptoms for three years. It's ruining my marriage. I've given up my work. I've changed my career and I still can't cope and I can't do it naturally. Yeah. Because there's this constant pressure of speaking to your girlfriends. You say, oh, just do a bit of this, take this, take this. Great, great for them. And it's your own unique menopause journey and experience. We can't impose our belief system onto other women. And there should be no shame and guilt associated with whatever path a woman chooses. Our job should be here to give them all the choices. And I'm, they're normally hormonal, non-hormonal, pharmaceutical, mm -hmm. complementary and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it's the woman's choice which order she chooses them and what she chooses. We need to kind of step away. There's already so much taboo and stigma around menopause. And on top of that, there's fear around HRT. And on top of that, we shame and put women through guilt of taking HRT. And I see that yeah. all the time. Yeah. And then they don't tell their friends because they're scared of telling their friends. Absolutely. They'll try Absolutely. and tell them you're going to get breast cancer. You're going to get clot. Or they'll find that some women continue to like being in that victim mindset of 
of feeling they get so used to feeling disempowered the state yeah. of chronic sleep deprivation yeah. and they're like i can't be around those friends because i moved on i'm doing adventurous thing because hrt allows for some women not all women to live their life but also to reinvent and recreate and find this new meaning um so i think it's an exciting time in every woman's life is a positive way to experience it when yeah. you got the right support and the right narrative so we need to change the narrative reframe the menopause into and i say explore it's like curiosity mm. you know that mind body connection try to feel what's happening but you need support with the absence of support and the right information we're doing a disservice to women we're losing women in the workforce it has a direct impact on the economy and the healthcare economy but also in the woman's ability or her relationships in an intimate relationship her relationship most importantly with herself self yeah um so you know i think um my only thing if i was to say is like we need to have a, an open mind have curiosity around this transition and respect every woman's experience is going to be unique to her and there's no one right way mm. for some women it might be just doing um, simple yoga and mindfulness exercises fantastic changing your diet great but we shouldn't uh, put pressure on every woman to do that because we all know just like pregnancy and all the other transitions they're unique to us they're so unique and i i mean i certainly had women that i've worked with who haven't really had many physical symptoms but they feel like an emotional train wreck and they're like you know i haven't had the hot sweats or i haven't had anything else but you know i like i'm i'm like there's nothing wrong with you let's just go with this and see what we find but i think that's the frustration thing because there's nothing physical but there is something wrong with them as you know our emotions and our mind are connected to the body so i guess what i'm saying is there's nothing wrong with having emotions yes you know like yes, that's a perfectly yeah, normal exactly. yeah i think what it but i think the point is they still find that it's a struggle because they don't find the right support because when they go to the doctors they say the same thing yeah. they say all your bloods are normal everything's fine there's nothing we can do give you an antidepressant but they're like but i'm not no. depressed yeah and so the problem there's a big void between healthcare professional and understanding that our reproductive hormones have an impact on our mental health exactly that's why 50% of women will get given antidepressants which help to a certain extent but they'll still have ongoing symptoms mm. and the distressing symptoms are the mental health symptoms mm. and the cognitive symptoms most women will be able to put up with the hot flushes and night sweats yeah. yeah it's the ability they just don't understand where they are they've lost their confidence they've lost their direction in life they don't know who they are it's almost like an aliens come and abducted their body some of them will say you know and it's just one day is a good day the same day the afternoon they could be having crying spells i mean you want to have some form of emotional balance and regularity and i know you do a lot of work with that but it's i think we we need to show a bit more empathy of how destructive this is in a woman's life mm. uh with those fluctuations the post menopause is a bit better because the hormones when they go decline you kind of don't have the fluctuations but it's kind of just very low yeah lack of motivation low mood no enthusiasm this kind of flatness comes into into kind of this lack of joy in life and lack of enthusiasm but you know i think it's important to validate women's emotions number 1 because mm. a lot of the time we'll say to them in healthcare professionals there's nothing wrong with you just put up with it 
I just don't think that's good enough. We need to signpost them more to better resources. Mm. Uh, and it's all about being validated. It's all about someone saying, you know what? I feel the same. And I hear you. Yeah, I hear, I hear you. Because yeah. at the moment, there's a lot of dismiss saying, oh, well, my mother went through menopause and she didn't take anything. I mean, well, that doesn't help because she's not your mother and you're not your mother. Yeah, I think it's the, it's, the challenge is we homogenize everything, don't we? And we're also unique in every journey that every person has through their life is completely unique because of all their experiences and what they've been through. And menopause is just, is another one. And so whatever comes up is relevant for that particular person. And when we start to acknowledge that, and the other thing that I find, and I know you talked about people comparing, but when, and saying, you know, oh, well, I don't experience that. When, um, what, what I found useful in my Magnificent Midlife course with women is teaching them how to um, listen with empathy and compassion for their sisters. So I do a lot of work with them around this, the sisterhood wounding that a lot of women have that makes them competitive. But once we get to that point where they can just listen to each other and just kind of be with what's going on for that person and just listen to them and learn to reflect back, I see a lot of them, they just relax and they're like, oh, you know, I can just be me and, and you're just being you and we, but we can share these stories and actually, wow, I'm, you know, okay. Other people have other stuff going on and I've got my thing, but slightly same, same, but different, you know, like, wow. Okay. And so they don't feel so isolated, lonely. So there's so much power in creating that circle of support. Yes. And teaching them sort of how to listen to their own body, but also yeah, just how to be there for each other as well and just share. I think it is. And I find that a lot of women will speak to other women, but again, the problem lies where they're all feeling the same and they want to feel good. So I think community is important, but we need solutions. Yeah. Um, and, and I always say knowledge is power and it's about knowing choice because when you know Correct. your choices, you feel empowered. When you get given no choice and the only choice you know is HRT and it's going to cause breast cancer, there's so much fear around that. And so then they don't, the thing is HRT is, is one option. There's other things you can do. That's the other thing. So yeah. the first thing you need to know is there's a choice. There's always a choice. When we, are, when, we've, when we don't have a choice, we feel quite disempowered and we can go back into feeling quite in that victim mindset, which doesn't serve us. Mm. Because what we want to do is see this transition as where we're feeling empowered, we can make decisions and we can come to the other end feeling more strong, feeling we find a different, maybe a different meaning, what we want to do. Some women go on to get different careers. The journey can be really enlightening for some mm. women if it's supported and they're allowed to feel better. Yeah. But I find a lot of the women, unfortunately, stay in this low-level functioning because they just don't feel great. And they, don't feel and they continue for weeks and months and years of not feeling great. And as a result, they're not empowered and they're not happy and they're not enjoying life. Mm. And then they're accumulating all these other risks as well. And we don't want that for them. Mm. We want them to be flourishing in their what we call post-reproductive years. You know, you want to be in your 60s, 70s. You want to be running after your grandchildren. You want to be playing tennis. So 
I think it's about visualizing how you want to age and what do you want for your future and you make the choice that suits you. Mm. Don't listen to the people around you. This is not their life. This is not their medical journey. It's your decision and you have to live with it. Mm. And that comes back to, as you said, about um, kind of connecting to yourself Mm. and finding that deeper sense of meaning of what is it that you want out of your life and how you want to live your life. As you said, we're conditioned in society to live a certain way and behave a certain way and take on these certain roles. But I think menopause is a time which can be very liberating because you kind of mm. just don't care about other people. And it's about actually, what am I going to do for myself? Children have gone. I've kind of done all the things in my career. What do I want to do that brings joy to me? It's it's kind of a bit more self-care, self-prioritization uh, time. And if you look at it in a more positive way, women do phenomenal things. I think this is the they real do. time when you can they really do. flourish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen some women, some mentors that I've had throughout my career who've just done phenomenal things as they've passed, moved past menopause. And I remember one of my teachers said to me about six or seven years ago when I when I started my perimenopause journey, she was like, oh, menopause was the best thing that ever happened to me. She's strutting her stuff at nearly 70. And I'm like, really? And she said, oh, for the first time in my life in years, I wasn't ruled by my hormones. It's great. And now I'm off doing it. She basically birthed another, she had a massive career change, birthed another business and off she went. If you look at it, I guess, from a a mind, body, spirit perspective, what do you think the deeper meaning of this transition is about? I mean, it depends what you do. In Eastern cultures, there's no word for menopause, Mm. okay? Um, they don't tend to get much symptom um, and also the the perception of older women is very different so in Asia there's a sense of in Chinese medicine it's the second spring yeah. there's an element of wisdom and mm. you know shedding your old past and kind of entering this time in life which is it's a different phase of life. It's important mm. to appreciate that. I don't like to use the word transition, uh, the word change. Because change is linked with fear and uncertainty. It's a transition. Just like puberty is a transition, we accept that. Pregnancy is a transition, we accept that. Mm. Menopause is a transition, we need to accept it. It has, it's only really, if you look at it in, in Western cultures, it's got a negative connotations. Yeah. There's a lot of Eastern culture when women are going through menopause, they're actually don't have symptoms, but also there's a, there's tremendous amount of support for them. Yeah. Their, their whole mindset is different. They don't really thrive in stress. It's a different way of living and mm. appro- approaching that. There's a lot of spirituality involved in it. There's no such thing as hormone replacement therapy. And as mm. I said, there isn't much in terms of symptoms either. But in the West, we get more because we have an uh, epidemic of stress, okay? And it's autonomic nervous dysfunction in a way. Yeah. And all these uh, living in a patriarchal society where we are put in, where we don't fit in. As you said, we were having this conversation, 
we're constantly subconsciously, which is 90%, we're not even aware of this, but actually we're at dis-ease in our presence in this yes. world. Yes. And so the problem with that is subconsciously, we, we feel like we've got to look a certain way, we've got to weigh a certain way, we can't age. And what's our relevance in society? It's only when you're youthful and when you're young and reproducing. Post-menopause, no one cares about you because our perspective of older women are very different in the West than they are in the East. Yes. East, I would say it's a lot to do with wisdom, they're really integral part of the family. They're not irrelevant. They become very relevant. Yeah. So different culture connotations and are very different. And I think there's all these other grandmother hypotheses as well about when you uh, are not reproducing, you're more available to look after kind of evolutionary terms yes. of yeah. the young ones. Yeah. So there's loads of theories around that. And it all depends on what your belief is around the menopause and your life. So if you're someone who's very spiritual and some of them will just manage it in that lovely spiritual way of accepting mm. that because acceptance is very powerful. Yes. When you deny yes. something, that transition, you're, you're uh, in conflict with that transition. You're not going to support it. Yes. You fear it. Uh, you're going to have negative consequences in your body. But when we accept the changes or the transition more accurately we're more in harmony with our body and when we're in harmony that stress is reduced mm. and we're more accepting but the problem is there's a huge taboo around the menopause so and then on top of that you've got the society which we're trying menopause is in means you're irrelevant unfortunately mm. it means you're old you're disposable mm. Mm. and those connotations aren't very positive uh, in certain societies, certain cultures, it's not necessarily global. That is changing now. And I think so. there's lots of belief, depends on what lens you're using to look at the menopause. For some of them, it's very spiritual, and that's fantastic. But not all women are spiritual. Yes. Some women just won't involve in yoga and doing spirit. They've just got different perspectives. So you've got to okay. tailor make a um, a solution for every woman as I said we're all different mm. so we've got to provide a solution for every woman and there's something for every woman and so there's no need to continue suffering but there are things that we can give you to support you on this journey that are in, in alignment with your value and your belief system around the menopause mm. so but I think the main thing is to realize it's it's a positive transition if you've got the right support that's awesome thank you so much for that this beautiful way to end the podcast I think we'll have to have another another podcast talking about this because there's so much and I'm but thank you so much Fatima for um, coming today good thank you for having me Kelly I really hope that uh, women find this useful I feel like I've done lots of talking I was trying to get everything into the podcast that's okay see it's a minefield there's just so much you can talk about there, there is, and, and I think that to that point, this is a multifaceted journey. Do you know, like there are so many different lenses that we look through to see what's going on. And like I said, everyone I work with, you know, what this person experiences is going to be different to you because you're you and what your, your journey is relevant to you. And that's your journey. So. Yes. Well, I hope everyone found this useful. There's lots of information on my, if you want information around HRT, there's lots of information on my Instagram handle, which is yeah. all evidence-based. Yeah. Um, and I talk about some of the complementary therapies as well. But 
would more than uh, and that's just Fatima Khan isn't it your Instagram no it's at menopause specialist that's right at menopause specialist specialist. yeah but um no I'm it's been an absolute honor uh, having the opportunity to speak on your platform and sharing some wisdom I hope this helps the women which I'm sure it will with your guidance and then more than happy to have another chat another time thank you thank you